0: Chapter 20, and we're gonna we're gonna read a parable right now. Yeah, I love the parables that Jesus told. It's there's, it's always good when you're kind of stealing one of Jesus' messages. You know, it's gonna be a good one because he, of course, was the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of this earth. And Jesus, he told parables many times because he did that to help us understand. The message that he was trying to give. If he would have, he told them one time, if I spoke to you in heavenly things, you wouldn't understand it. And so he kind of would try to bring it down to their level, and he would give them uh, an earthly example, something they could all relate to, something that they could all understand. And that's something that we've all done. You know, we've got these little stories we tell our kids to, you know, keep them from lying. You tell them the story of the boy who cried wolf. Alright, that never happened, but that's a parable. And these things that Jesus told, they were parables. They were uh, stories that He told. Uh, They never have names in parables. That's why we know stories of uh, like the rich man and uh, Lazarus. Those weren't parables. He gave actual names of the people. A lot of people call it the parable of the rich man. But it really happened that man really went to hell and he really saw Abraham and Lazarus over there in paradise. It all happened. We're going to read this parable, it's known as the parable of the laborers, and start reading in verse 1, it says, "...for the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive." So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto His steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they received it, They murmured against the good men of the house, saying, "...These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day." But he answered one of them and said, "...Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto those last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good?" So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. This parable here is one that when people read it, there's some problems that they have with it. It sounds like uh, this master here is not really being fair. We're going to look at some of those things that people don't like about this parable and hopefully help you understand uh, why it is. Because, you know, our Lord is not unfair by any means. He is just in what He does, and and hopefully, we as we look at these things, we can understand a little better. But notice how it talks about you know He went and He hired people in the morning and the first hour in the Bible times. Whenever you hear about the first hour of the day, that would be six o'clock in the morning. When we think of the first hour of the day, we're thinking one o'clock in the morning. The day starts at midnight, but during that time. The day actually started. Really, started in the evening. Uh, For example, like right now, it's six o'clock in the evening. So, technically, we're kind of—if we were in this time or Jews—it would be really Monday. It's we're in the We're in the evening. Or and then uh, at six o'clock tomorrow, that's kind of when the day starts, and they would work from really six. To six, And then, uh, for example, on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day starts for the Jew at 6 o'clock on Friday. And then it goes until 6 o'clock Saturday. And so he went and he hired people on that first hour, 6 o'clock in the morning. And they're out there working. A little while later, he goes out there about 9 o'clock. And he goes and he hires some more people. And then uh, at noon, I believe it was, and then it finally gets to where at 5 o'clock, he goes and he hires some more people And they only worked one hour. And then here comes. After 12 hours, it's time to pay. And he goes and he pays the people who started at 5 o'clock first. And he gives them all a penny. And he goes down the line and everybody's getting a penny. And these folks that were there at 6 o'clock in the morning have been working 12 hours. They're thinking, well, I know we agreed for a penny. But we're probably going to be... I know we've got to be getting some kind of bonus here. I mean, we've been working for 12 hours. We've definitely accomplished more than these other people have. And when they didn't get any kind of bonus, they're thinking, what's going on? What's wrong here? So what? And honestly, to us, I think we would all kind of have a problem too if, on our, if you went in your job and you get paid by the hour and you found out some guy that only showed up one hour got paid the same thing that you did in 12 hours. We'd all kind of have problems with that. But what's Jesus trying to teach them here? Well, a lot of times, if you want to understand a parable, it's good to go back and look at what's been going on in the previous chapter and the previous verses. And usually there was something going on, maybe some questions that were asked, and it was what made Jesus give those parables. In the previous chapter, Jesus had just dealt with the Pharisees' question about divorce. Uh, remember, they they had asked about uh, they had asked some questions about divorce and about eunuchs. Uh, he was rebuked by his disciples when he was spending time with the children. You may remember that we we got all these people that are thinking that they're better than other people. You've got these Pharisees that um, you know think they're above those that had been divorced or you got the disciples who are thinking that kids aren't that important. He had an encounter with the self righteous, rich young ruler who thought, you know, surely I'm on my way to heaven. He asked Jesus, you know, what good thing must I do? Expecting Jesus to tell him, Man, you've already done it. You're already good enough. You're already on your way to heaven. Um and he had Peter in that previous chapter kind of asking what kind of bonus they were going to get for following Christ. You know, Peter answered and said, "Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What should we have therefore?" Peter's saying, "Lord, we're one of your, we're the twelve disciples. Lord, surely we are more important than all these other people. Lord, we've forsaken all. We've done everything. Uh, you know, what Lord, what are we going to get out of this?" So Jesus has been dealing with all this self-righteous, we deserve this attitude. And he tells them this parable that kind of shuts them all up, because they. And if we're not careful too, we can kind of get that attitude of thinking, you know, I've done a lot more than everybody else. You know, where's my extra blessing? You know, where? Uh, you know, a lot of times we get to thinking that we've been shortchanged by Christ. And so, first of all, to understand this parable, we need to look at a few things and look at all the characters that are in the parable, and they usually represent things. For example, I believe that the householder that it talks about represents the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the householder who goes and he hires all these people. He represents the kingdom of heaven. The laborers, they represent the saved. All right. So in this message, I want you to think about yourself as one of the laborers. One of those uh, who uh, are saved, who's been out working in the fields. The vineyard, that represents the world. Uh, everybody else, as Christians, our work that we do ultimately, it's not in here in the church, it's, it's out there. Our mission field is right outside these doors and all over uh, your, the school that you go to or, the, or your job that you have, uh, your neighborhood where you live, the, the people that you're around, that, and really everybody we come in contact with. That's the vineyard. That's the field. We're supposed to be doing the work trying to bring people to Christ. That penny. What does the penny represent that everybody got paid? I believe that penny represents salvation. And we'll talk a little more about that in a little bit, but the penny represents salvation. The hours that they worked, I believe that represents our time here on earth. There are some folks who live a really long time there's others who don't live that long. There's some folks who get saved at an early age and live their whole life for the Lord. There's some who don't get saved until they're older, until they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s. We've even had some here that have gotten saved in the 70s and 80s. That uh, So that the hours represent our time on the earth. So what are the problems that people have with this parable? Well, first of all, They only got paid a penny. They only got paid a penny? Working 12 hours and one penny? Now, I don't know what a penny exactly was worth back then, but it doesn't sound like much. I don't even think back then that could have been a whole lot of money. Why would they only get paid... Sorry about that. Why would they only get paid... A penny. Well, first of all, one thing that we need to realize too, when it comes to the penny, and how can salvation represent a penny? I mean, salvation, that's the most valuable thing that we can have. There's nothing better that we can have for, uh, than salvation. We can't put a price tag on salvation. And that's exactly why I think he used a penny. You can't put a price tag on it. That's why I don't think he said that he gave them, you know, a million, he gave them all a million dollars. You know, he, he said a penny. You can't put a price on salvation. But Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. It's a gift of God. None of us deserve salvation. We don't. But God gives it to us. God gives it to us anyway. And anybody who gets saved, whether they are young or old, they are just as saved as the next person. The folks we've had here that have gotten saved in their 80s. They are just as saved as me who was saved when I was five. That salvation that God gives, it's the same salvation. He doesn't save some people more than other people. I always tell the story about Tommy. We were driving by a truck one time and Big Semi said on there, Jesus is the answer or something like that. It said something about Christ. And Tommy saw he was he was maybe five years old at the time or so. He's just like, man, that guy must really be saved. And it just, it cracked me up. Like, some people can be more saved than other people. You can't get any more saved than you already are. They're, I mean, you're either saved or you're lost. You're either really saved or you're. And I say, no, whenever, and to this day, if I see a truck or something that has that kind of message on it, I'll say, I just the other day, saw somebody, uh, what did their license plate say? Like, Lord JC or something? Yeah, it was like it was like Lord J C or whatever, and I was like, "Wow, they must really be saved." And the truth is, none of us deserve salvation, and these folks here too. Uh, the guy didn't have to give them a job, but they—they, they, you know, one thing we don't understand in our culture today is that a job—it's a privilege, it's not a right. People think that jobs are rights that they have that that cannot be taken away. Listen. A job is a privilege. If somebody allows you to go and work for them and they pay you a paycheck, that's a privilege. And we, we ought to act like it's a privilege to have a job. We ought to try to do a good job. We ought to try to be uh, be the best employee that we can be. We ought to appreciate that job. And I know that that's a totally different subject, but I'm telling you, we have people they that they think that Working is a right. Something that they deserve. we got people today that think that they ought to be getting a paycheck whether they're working or not. I mean, it's goofy. We've got these Occupy Wall Street ding-dongs that are out there going and doing all these marches and acting like they just deserve all these things and picking on companies and corporations that have all this money. Listen, thank God for people that are out there that have enough money to hire some of us to pay us some money. I'm, I'm thankful for those that are able to do that. And we ought to have that kind of attitude. A job is not a right. And these folks, they were blessed to have been given a job to do. And they had agreed for a penny and they should have been happy with it. And as Christians, God has saved us and He's given us salvation and He's given us work to do and we shouldn't be complaining and we shouldn't have this bad attitude that hey, know, how come other people are more saved than I'm saved? Hey, we asked God to save us and we knew that we didn't deserve it and we ought to just be thankful that He'd saved our sorry soul and that He keeps us saved and we're on our way to heaven. But that's one of the problems people have. Another one is what about those in the field who didn't work as hard? You know, a lot of times we get to look at all the things we do. One thing that we've got to be careful with here in this church, a lot of times in, uh, in churches after they get started... There, uh, and even in some older churches, you might have some people in there that were charter members, you know, from thirty, forty, fifty years ago, and they get to thinking that they should be able to run the whole church, and they get to looking down at everybody else and thinking that there's something special. Hey, I was I was a charter member. I was there when this thing first got started. And if you you know you uh, you know I'm not going to put up with this. Hey, we shouldn't have that kind of attitude. We ought to, you know, don't be thinking that we for some reason deserve special privileges because we've been in the battle a little longer we've been working a little hard you know it's one of the things that we're going to see here as as time goes on and as as the lord blesses and as things start getting added to the church and we start there's more programs and more fun stuff going on we're going to see a lot of folks that all of a sudden now want to get involved and want to have part in it and sometimes, maybe those uh, who've been faithful in the beginning when there wasn't as much stuff and those who've been doing the work, we get to thinking, wow, you know, that sorry crowd. You know, they don't deserve the privileges and the benefits of all of these things. We've been the one that were doing the works. We were the one that, was, that were faithful when nobody, else, uh, when nobody else was. We get to thinking that way, and that's kind of how these folks were. Those folks that have been there for 12 hours, they're standing back there and they see those people that have only been there an hour and they're thinking what is going on here why are they why are we getting the same thing that they are and your one thing that we all that we all need to ask ourselves is really did did any of us have we done have any of us done all that we can possibly do have we all been totally faithful the truth is uh we haven't we haven't all done what we possibly could. Also, there are those who start. Uh, another problem people have is those who started working later shouldn't have gotten paid the same as those who started at the beginning of the day. We think there's no way that could possibly be fair. But the truth is, and I think one of the things that Jesus wanted us to see here is that it's God who decides what everybody deserves. Listen, we cannot possibly be just when it comes to this thing. We, we can't. We don't know. Uh, you know, We don't know what all is going on in everybody's lives. We don't know what all people have been going through. A lot of times we get looking at ourselves and patting ourselves on the back, but the truth is, maybe if we were in some of these other folks' situations, we would be just as bad, maybe worse. You know, I, Myself, one thing I have to be careful. I mean, I thank God for the home that I grew up in. I was privileged to grow up in a preacher's home. I, uh, I, you know, I was in church all my life. I was able to go to a Christian school. I had a lot of things that were, really that were handed to me. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. I've been given a lot more than maybe the young person that was there whose parents were drunks and drug addicts who never took them to church, who never taught them the Word of God. I believe God expects more from some of us. Those of us who know the truth, who maybe received it at an earlier age, I believe God expects more from us who are in the right kind of churches preaching the truth than He does from a church where people are sincere, but they're being lied to. And the truth is, none of us could accurately judge what everybody deserves and what everybody should get. God is the only one that can do that. and. We have no business trying to look at other people's situations and looking at our situations and trying to compare them, and trying to, and then and then to think that God's shortchanging us somehow. But that's what these folks did. Another problem that people have, a thing that people wonder is there any bonus? So they think, well, fine. After reading this parable, is there any bonus for putting forth extra effort? You know, we always we always want to somehow get more than the next person. We always want to get something extra for what we do. You know, sometimes my kids, if they do something good, we might reward them somehow, maybe take them out for ice cream or whatever. And then there's other times, you know, they'll go and they'll do something good again. It's like, hey, you're going to take us out for ice cream? Are you going to reward us for this? Sometimes are like, no. You guys just sometimes you need to do good things just to do good things. Sometimes we'll reward you. Sometimes we're not going to reward you. And, you know, you don't want them to get this attitude of, you know, I deserve this all the time. Hey, you guys' room was clean without being told. Let's go get ice cream. And then they think every time the room's clean they should get ice cream. No. Sometimes bonuses they just come because <laughs> we feel like it. And God's that way too. Sometimes He just blesses us and just out of the goodness of his heart. But is there any bonus for putting forth the extra effort? The truth is, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, if you want to turn over there. This is a good verse I think to underline and just to remind yourself of. It says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Listen, God is going to take care of all of it on Judgment Day when we stand before Him. He's going to take care of all of it. If you really have done so much better than everybody else, God's going to take care of you. You're going to receive a hundredfold. I mean, God is it's going to be worth it. The extra things that you do are going to pay off in the end. But once again, he reminds them the first shall be last and the last shall be first. At the same time, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and they stand before God. There's going to be a lot of folks who think, man, I'm really going to get paid off real good here. And they're going to stand before God with nothing. And then there's going to be others. Boy, they, just, they were humble. They loved God. They were just thankful that God saved their sorry souls. They did whatever they could. It might not have been much as far as man was concerned, but God saw... Exactly, God was keeping track, and they're going to be blown away by what, by the blessings that they received from God that day. And the truth is, is that there is not one person on this earth that could even come close to accurately judging what we're going to receive on Judgment Day. There's, there, we can't do that. We're not capable of it. God's the only one that can do that, but God is going to take care of it. If you really do deserve, All those blessings. I'm not saying anybody here doesn't. God's going to take care of you. He said He would. You're going to receive a hundredfold. But there are extra blessings for the work that we do. However, Jesus warns them that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So what are some of the things that we do as Christians? And really just just a few things real quick we're going to look at. There are some things that uh, the older Christians some mistakes that we make that I think can kind of help us put in perspective why God or why this uh, householder paid those who only start work for one hour the same as those who work for twelve hours. There are some areas where we fall short big time as somebody who's been saved for a long time. But one of those things is not loving Christ like we did when we first got saved. Revelation chapter two verse one. Revelation 2 verse 1 now this church that we're talking about here in many 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 ways is an extremely good church but they had one problem one problem that was really it was huge it says unto the church angel of the church of Ephesus right? these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks it's talking about Jesus I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. This church was doing everything right. I mean, they were working hard for Christ. They were keeping evil out of their church. I mean, everything that a church should be doing, this church had it down. They were doing it. And Jesus said, I see what you're doing. I see your labor. He commended them for their labor. But verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. These folks... While they were doing everything right on the outside, something had happened somewhere along the lines. In the beginning, boy, these folks, God saved them, and they just they loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They just loved Him. Everything they did, it was because they loved God and they were just doing their best to serve Him and trying to be faithful. But you know what happens sometimes? We get to doing right just kind of out of ritual we get to do and right maybe just out of maybe out of habit hey you know it, it, for me it's a habit going to church it's i mean i've been doing it all my life but the truth is i ought to be doing it because i love god we can get you know we can get sometimes to the point where we're faithful in church we never miss a service but we can sometimes wish we weren't there we don't, we don't want to be there. We're there because everybody's going to wonder where I'm at. Pastor will preach on church attendance the next Sunday. Whatever. And we do it for all the wrong reasons. And listen, if you're still doing right, hey, God commends your works. Thank God that you're faithful. Thank God you're still doing the right thing. But more than anything, God, what God wants from us is for us to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment. And these, this church, they had They had forgotten that. They were doing all the right things. They were working hard. But they left their first love. Verse 5 says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of the place, except thou repent. God said, if you don't repent of this, He says, I'm going to close your doors. I'm going to finish you off. And this church was doing everything right. I mean, this church, they had the perfect church constitution and bylaws. I mean, they, they did everything right. They had it all, all, all nailed down. They were following it. They were doing all the rules. These people, they dressed right. They had the right music. They weren't doing any of the contemporary Christian music of that time. I mean, they didn't have the rock and roll going on in the church. They, these folks, they looked sharp. They did everything right. But they weren't really thinking about Christ when they were doing it. And Jesus said, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to where you were before. I want you to do the first works. And one thing that if we're not careful, we will all do is we will not love Christ like we did when we first got saved. I love seeing folks when they when they first get saved and they're just excited. To be a part of the family of God. They're excited to be in church. They want to do whatever they can do. Sometimes what they do isn't very good. You know, they're just excited. Some folks, though, just, hey, man, they're, they're saved. They're on their way to heaven. They, they just want to get up in church and sing a special. Just because they love God. And they'll get up and they'll sing a song about loving Christ. And, man, they're off key. I mean, they're just—they can't carry a tune in a bucket. But you can just tell that those folks love God and just are thrilled that they have the opportunity to do something for God. I like seeing that. You know, some folks too. You know, the first time they—they they get up in front of everybody and sing, you know, they're scared, boy. They're nervous. They're—I mean—they're I mean, they're shaking because you know, you know they—they're taking it serious. It's important to them. It's a big deal. If they got others. They've been doing it for so long. I mean, these people—they can sing. They're—they're just—I mean, right on key. And they do. They confidently and boldly go walk up there. Well, aren't you all privileged to get to hear me sing today because my, you know, my wonderful voice that I have. And I'm really going to knock you dead. And boy, the Lord sure is going to be impressed with how well I sing this song. Listen, I'm telling you, God is always going to be more impressed with that person singing off key that's just singing because they love God. And that's what we do. I remember one time a girl, she had gotten saved and hadn't been saved very long at all. And she wanted to sing in church. I remember she and she asked my dad if she could sing in church. He's like, "Sure, that'd be fine." And she got up there. And, uh, she found a song in the hymn book. Oh, how I love Jesus! And wanted to sing the song. And uh, my dad was like, "You know, do you need the piano for it?" She's like, "No, I don't need the piano." And she got up there to sing it, and you could tell she never heard the song in her life. And she just got up there and kind of made up her own tune while she sang that whole song. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it was awful. (laughs) It was awful. But you know what? I believe this girl, she saw the title of that song, said, Oh, How I Love Jesus, and she wanted to sing it. And she did. She got up there, and she just, and I believe God was pleased with what he saw. I remember one time we were uh, on vacation and we stopped and we visited this church. And this, I, I, I was just young. I was maybe 12 or 13 years old at the time. And I remember this guy got up to go sing a song and uh, he kind of gave a little bit of his testimony. He hadn't been saved very long at all. and you know, But you could tell the guy was excited about being in this church and he was excited that he had gotten saved. Now, I'll never forget, he sang Just a Closer Walk With Thee. And, you know, as a 12... You know not that spiritual 12 year old who's not that spiritual you know I remember thinking man this guy is not a very good singer he kind of sang a couple parts of the song wrong and it was kind of funny I'm sitting there you know trying not to laugh and I remember afterwards uh we were on our way home and I and we were talking about the service I was like, oh wasn't that funny when that guy was singing in church he was singing this part of the song wrong and, I, and I'm like critiquing the song and everything and my dad just kind of jumped on my case and he's like, well, you know what he didn't know that the expert singer, Tommy was going to be there. He was just singing, you know, he because he wanted to and loved God. I remember I, I felt, you know, then I felt bad after that. But I thought, you know, and that's true. He was doing it because he loved God. And sometimes, what well, we get, we're, we've been saved for so long, we've been doing everything right for so long that we forget that, and we get to thinking that we're something special. And let me tell you, if we're even if we're doing right, if we're doing it for the wrong reasons. God's not pleased with that. And I, I think, I mean, I God loves seeing folks that just get saved, and just get on fire for them and are, are zealous for them and are just doing their very best because they love Christ. Y'all probably remember Joe Thompson that was here preaching, and when he got saved, he heard the preaching, and heard you're supposed to tell other people about Jesus, and so he just started doing it. He didn't, you know, he didn't show up at the regular souling time. He just went all by himself. He went out, grabbed some tracks. Knocked on people's door, didn't really know how to give out the gospel, but he just told people, hey, my name's Joe. It's like I it's like I used to smoke pot and I got saved. And now I tell other people about Jesus. That was pretty much all he did. But he did the best he could. And just he loved and just loving God. God is pleased with that kind of stuff. And we've got to get back to that. Well that's one thing. If I could teach, you know, the folks in this church, especially uh, the newer ones that have gotten saved, if we can just get people loving God like this, loving God with all heart, boy, great things could happen. And we've got to make sure, as maybe older Christians, that we don't get away that we don't get away from that. That we love that we love God. And then secondly, another problem that I think that we have. As older Christians sometimes, is unconfessed sin to others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. One thing that's a blessing about a new church is uh, a lot of times when pastors go and they take over uh, old churches that have been around for a long time, sometimes they go in these places and they find themselves just in a nightmare. Brother Giardini, who was here uh, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday, um, they're going... So their, their ministry that they're doing is they're going to go and try to get dead churches going again. Churches that are about to close their doors and are needing to pass, so they're going to go in there instead of starting churches, they're going to try to rebuild those churches. Thank God for that. What a wonderful ministry. But I'm here today to tell you, I thank God He didn't call me to that. Because that's not going to be an easy job because sometimes you go in these churches and there's just all kinds of history. People that have been mad at each other for twenty years about something stupid. I mean, they've been at each other's throats. There's all this unconfessed sin, things that have happened. In Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-three, says, "Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come." And offer thy gift. God said, Listen, before you come bring your gifts to the altar, before we pray, if we if there's a problem that we're having with us and one of our brothers in Christ, one of our sisters in Christ, before we say that prayer, let's go get that taken care of. If we don't listen, if we don't take care of those things, we're not going to be able to accomplish anything with God. Girls, you need to stop leaving all right. Sit down. Don't don't get up anymore, okay? And we need we need to make sure we get those things taken care of that we stay faithful to God. We and many times people they go and they just keep sweeping things under the rug. They don't take care of anything and then bitterness sets in. And all of a sudden church it's not a friendly atmosphere. It's a hostile atmosphere. And then people wonder why God's not doing anything. They wonder why the church can't have revival. They wonder why folks aren't getting saved because people come walking in here looking for something. They're looking for something that's God-honoring and Christ-like. They come in and everybody's fighting with each other. And I've heard stories about people showing up at church and there's a fight going on in the parking lot. Not a good thing. Bad sign that happens. That's why, too, There's one of the things we talked about a little bit this morning in Sunday school when folks come to this church, if they want to join it, you know we're gonna we're gonna find out a little bit about their history. Hey, you know, where were you going to church before? Why did you leave? And if we find out that they just had a big blowout with everybody in their church and it caused a bunch of problems, we say before you come to church here, you need to go back and get that taken care of. Because we don't want cause Those folks aren't going to get anything out of this church. They're not going to be able to give anything. God's not going to bless anything they do if they've got brothers and sisters in Christ that they've got problems with them and taken care of. And there's a lot of people who've been saved for a long, long time. That on the outside, they've got everything down, but the power of God is not on their lives. God isn't doing anything in their lives because... Of unconfessed sin to other people, we do not. We want. We don't want to do that. It's good to sometimes maybe just search your heart and search your life. It's like, hey, are there folks that I need to go get things right with, and go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry. Try to make up with them. Try to try to do uh, make things right. and yeah, I mean, you there's somebody out there in the church. Maybe you owe them, you owe them fifty bucks, and you've been trying to pretend you forgot about it. You know what? Go to get that taken care of. That kind of stuff it can it can add it can build, and God sees that stuff. We might not think it's a big deal. Oh well, they ought to have a Christian attitude and just forget about it. Okay, yeah, maybe they should. But you ought to do the Christian thing and pay what you owe, and you ought to get that right. And we don't want that kind of thing. That stuff builds up, and really, then all that work that we're doing, all that labor we're doing, it's really for nothing. Unconfessed sin, then thirdly, bitterness and hatred. First John chapter four verse twenty. I'll just read one verse to you, first John four, verse twenty. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I'll tell you, you cannot love God and hate other Christians. So the Bible says, "You're a liar. There's been people I've talked to even here since I've been in town, and they, you know they've come and they visited the church, or maybe I've been out visiting, and you talk to some folks and they'll get to talking about their old church, and they'll get to talking about other Christians, and it's clear there's a lot of bitterness and hatred in their life. When I come across those folks, I'm like, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're this other church. <laughs> you know, we're another church. You know like, don't, don't come visit ours." Because I tell you, you bring that stuff in, a church is going nowhere. I don't care how long they've been saved. I don't care how much money that they've given to the church. I don't care how much work they've done. If they hate their brother, they're not getting anywhere with God. Listen, we, you know, I I want, it's, if we, you know, as a pastor, you know, as a church, you know, of course, you know, I'm just going to be honest. You know, we'd all like it if a bunch of people with a lot of talent. Came to the church, you know, be involved in singing and the music and things. We like to have people, you know, with the money, you know, be just be honest. You know, we can give big offerings so we can do all the things. But honestly, we can. There's plenty of churches that have all those things, and the Spirit of God is doing nothing in that church because of these things that we talk about right here. Boy, they're laboring in a sense, but they're doing all the things that we think are important. They're there. They're doing the work. But what God thinks is important and what we think important a lot of times are two completely different things. God wants folks who are just loving Him. Those who are just trying to be faithful. And if we've got all those other things, God is not impressed one bit. The truth is, God is just pleased. God, God was going to get rid of that church in Revelation we read about. The one that was doing everything right. Because they didn't love Him. Like they were supposed to. And I'm here today to tell you that at this church, I would rather have a bunch of people with no talent and no money and no personality or anything that but they love God. And if they if we have that, then God is going to bless the work that takes place. God's going to be in that. It's the Lord that's really that builds the work. It's not us. Yeah, we're laborers. We do we do the work, but the truth is, none of us and of ourselves can really do anything that great. But God can. We want Him doing the work. And we need to make sure that we're, that we're faithful. And don't get this added, and never have the attitude of we're better than somebody else because we were there in the beginning. We've been doing it a long time. If we're the right kind of church, we're always going to have people in here that have, at all different levels. There are some churches all they have are people that have been saved for fifty years. That's that's sad. We ought to have, just like uh, you know, as a church, you know, it's good to have a variety of ages. I thank God we've got senior citizens in this church, and we've got middle-aged people, and we've got young people, and we've got we've got kids. But we we need that. We need we need young people in this church. I'm thankful we have some kids in here, even though sometimes they get a little antsy and it's hard to sit still in the service. You know what, that's all right. Because the truth is we don't get some young kids in there, pretty soon we're all going to die out. From being old, I read a story from the eighteen hundreds about a church that a pastor went into to preach. And he went there or an evangelist, and he went in there. There was two people in the church the pastor and one other person. And this church had never had a church split. But they never reached any new people and everybody just died out. And it's the Lord that's doing the work. And it's a privilege to be in the work of God. And we ought to just be faithful and doing all we can. And we ought to be praising God for those those who come in at the 11th hour. And they get in. Maybe it's towards the end of their life. Maybe they're 90 years old and they get saved. Well, What are they going to do for Christ? They're not going to be able to do that much work. Well, thank God though that they got in. Thank God that they... Uh, that, they, that God saved them. And they're going to be able to stand before Him someday. And He's, he's going to be able to say to them, well done now, good and faithful servant. And the truth is, I believe that that's why He says the first should be last and the last should be first. Because as Christians, we've been saved a long time and we get all this baggage that we don't get taken care of. But there's going to be some folks who maybe they get saved late in life and they only have one or two years to serve God. And they do every, they do the best they can. They do everything they can. They do it because they love Christ. And in the eyes of God, that's that's exactly what He was looking for. They don't have all that baggage built up like we do. And the truth is, we have no excuse. It doesn't have to be that way. We ought to, we ought to love God more today than we did the day that we got saved. We don't want to lose that first love. I hope you won't. So let's all stand together tonight with our heads bowed, eyes closed. Parable of the labors. It doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. Okay, God's always fair. God's always fair.